was the opening music to The Omen, released in 1976. I had to think about that for a second. And it's super creepy opening music. And I, I just thought to myself as I was listening to it that music is such a huge part of what makes a movie scary to me. And, and this really set the, set the tone for the rest of the film. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at www.classicmoviereviews.net, and in iTunes, search for Classic Movie Reviews, and in Facebook, you can do the same search and find us there. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm coming to you from sunny Seattle, and unfortunately that means the grass keeps growing, and that means I have to mow it which I just did, and now I'm ready to talk about this movie. And I'm Bob Johnson in Los Angeles, where we're having rainy weather. Um, and it was so bad overnight that the uh, Interstate 5 over the what they call the grapevine between Los Angeles and Bakersfield was closed because of mudslides. So we've gone from hot and dry to uh, mudslides. Man, you got one extreme to the other. No kidding. Uh, I wanted to mention something on the music. You know, there's so many of these movies that we've watched, not just the horror movies, but uh, say, for example, 12 O'Clock High, uh, where the music is such an integral part of the uh, the overall story that uh, I don't know how these would ever play uh, without that music part. And Jerry Goldsmith in this movie, or this movie, does an outstanding job. Uh, the movie was distributed by 20th Century Fox, and it did extremely well. I, I was amazed. The budget was uh, $2.8 million, and its initial box office was about $61 million, and it was a huge, huge hit. Which that's a, that's a great return on investment. I'll take that. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and it spawned, no pun intended, uh, some sequels. I think there were two other sequels that came after this. And in your notes, you asked a uh, question, was, was Gregory Peck the right age to play Mr. Thorne. And I, I got to thinking about that. I looked it up. At the time this was made, he was 60 years old. So that would be perfect to be the ambassador to the United Kingdom. Uh, so I think it's okay. I mean, I, when I watched it, I really don't think of him as being that old. Well, yeah, I think, it, I mean, he did great in the movie and I love watching him. And we've watched, you know, many of his films already. I know we could almost do a podcast month on Gregory Peck films. He did so many excellent movies. Uh, but my my only comment there was why why him? Like I wonder what was it about him? Is it? I mean, it's Gregory Peck, but beyond just his being an awesome actor, is there something about him being older and you know, kind of you know, really maybe wanting children because he is getting older? I just wondered if that didn't actually function as part of the plot. You know, the age of the character well um i read in my research for the movie that uh the first choice for the part was william holden and uh, he was busy and couldn't do the movie so then they turned to gregory peck but in the second omen movie uh, william holden appears i haven't seen that one before but so he shows up i i think maybe they were looking for someone that would look like the uh ambassador yeah, yeah, United just kind of would carry that weight, job. have that yeah. weight. Yeah. 
Uh, and then the uh, director, Richard Donner, he's done uh, so many movies. Uh, Superman, he did all the Lethal Weapon movies. Uh, his list of uh, films is quite long. Oh, yeah. I love I love his movies, and I love the way he shoots the, the movies. This movie just had such a lush feel to it, and it was mainly filmed outdoors or uh, in locations. And I think I had a question about the cemetery scene near the end. That looked like maybe a soundstage to me. It did. You mean the one where the dogs... Yeah, where they're attacked yeah. by the, all the dogs. Yeah, that did look like a that did look like a studio soundstage setup. I loved what you said on your notes to me. Uh, I'll just read what you said. The music is so serene and pleasant as they arri- as the thorns arrive in in Great Britain. You'd think it was a PBS family drama. Yeah, uh, if you didn't, if you did, if you just turned on the TV and you didn't know what this movie was you think oh this must be some kind of historical drama about you know on the pbs or something and and it's it's actually really a big contrast that beginning part of the movie up until that birthday party i know uh and then things really take a turn for the the dark but yeah the contrast between that beginning of the movie and all the serene idyllic landscapes and the the nice pleasant beautiful music to the end of the film, right, where they're being chased, th- where he's, uh, Robert Thorne's being chased through town by the police. He's trying to get to the church, and it's so frenetic and, and fast-paced. When we get to that part of the film, I came up with, I think, the reason why the police were involved kind of out of out of nowhere, and also why the president ended up. All right, well, I'm, I'm, I know we don't want to jump ahead, but yeah, I, I, I got to hear your theory on that, because... T- to tell you the truth, that yeah, well, we'll get there. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but just imagine though, imagine if you went, you know, we're watching this on uh, Turner Classic Movies or or some similar uh, cable setup, and you thought it was a PBS drama, <laughs> and then you get to the <laughs> you birthday were, scene, <laughs> you would be in for quite a shock between the birthday scene and uh, the priest outside the uh, cathedral with the spear, and oh my goodness! You know what the best part of that birthday scene was? <clears throat> was the react, the look of the look on people's faces after it happened. Oh no, kidding! I mean, no they, kidding. It was absolutely like silent, and everybody was looking up there shocked, and there was this really creepy looking clown that yeah uh, that like was sheltering one of the children's faces and i thought man that clown is creeping me out by itself but supposedly he's a good guy you know <laughs> compared to uh, damien well uh, there are people that are afraid of clowns if they saw that one they would for sure be afraid when when they were walking along the stream and yes, yes. they were talking about i won't be long we don't have that much to talk about <laughs> Since when did two old college roommates not have much to talk about? Since one of them assumed the awesome burden of the presidency. <laughs> I'll give my regards to the first lady. I'll do my best. Why don't you change your mind fly over with me? No, I better stay here and fool around with Damien. It's a really weird turn of phrase. I, I, I just... Yes. A very subtle sort of like you wouldn't notice it the first time kind of way to just slightly ratchet up the creepiness of the film. Well, when they were walking along the stream and, and before they discovered that he had wandered off. First of all, why would they let him go wandering off? He looked like he was two years old. Yeah. But I thought it was a scene out of Love Story with uh, Ryan O'Neill and Ally McGraw. It was like, wow. 
<laughs> and then, but when it got creepy, it got creepy in a hurry, and then it stayed that way. Oh yeah, and it and it can and it and it like would build up to. I mean, it built up to that, you know, crescendo at the end. Oh my goodness, I'm never going near any truck that's carrying glass. <laughs> <laughs> Poor David Warner. David Warner, yeah. I love I love him. He's so awesome. I do and too. The first I do time too. I the first movie I remember seeing him in is Tron. He played Stark. And That's he's, right. Yes. He's such a great bad guy in that movie, and I've always thought of him as a as a as a villain. But uh, he was one of the heroes in this movie, although he met a very untimely end. So uh, the the story is pretty straightforward. You just have to suspend some of your beliefs, maybe, to to watch it in terms of the power that Damien has over everybody. Because I think his mind is controlling a lot of the action. For example, the nanny that uh, at the at the party decides to off herself from the uh, sixth floor of that house, and she says, "Damien, look at me! I'm over here. Damien, I love you. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you." Yeah, was that weird or what? That was really weird. Yeah, and I was like, that that made the um, the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I I had seen this movie, but it had been a long time ago, and I'd forgotten how graphic some of it is. But do you think that Damien... Well, first of all, I have two questions that I had. One, could you watch this movie and, and think that all these things were happening around Damien and that everybody around him was believing this, but actually Damien was just a kid? And that these people were all sort of delusional and had convinced themselves that he was part of the, the you know, part of, or the spawn of the devil. That was my wow. first question. And the second question was, was it really Damien or was it like Damien was like a lens focusing the evil of the devil to make things happen around him? Like, like he was sort of like this tool of the devil as well. So those are my two questions. Well, on the first question... He had too many looks and too many knowing half smiles for me to think that everybody else was delusional and he was just a happy little kid. Uh, especially the last picture of him standing with the president and the first lady. And secondly, I, I do believe he was channeling the devil. Yeah. The scene that made me ask that first question was, remember when he was riding his little tricycle around the room in circles and circles and circles? Yes. And yes. that's something that any little kid would, would do, right? I mean, that's just something kids would do and then at the, just the right moment the nanny opens the door and damien's like oh i'll go ride my you know bike out there and he goes trundling down the the hallway and runs right into his mom who's standing on a table trying to fix some uh, plant and subsequently she's knocked off and falls down like two stories to the lower level and is very badly injured but he gets a look on his face like he, he's frightened, and he runs as fast as he can back toward the nanny. And I thought, huh. Now, if he was really the spawn of the devil and he knew kind of what he was doing, wouldn't he have just sat there and kind of looked at her and given her one of those knowing smiles? I think that's the beauty of the way Richard Donner did the film, because I, I thought the same thing when I saw that. But contrast that with a couple of other scenes where he's got that look of demonic possession on his face. So maybe he was maybe he didn't always channel the devil. So maybe he's sort of like he has to be fully 
converted or turned over to being pure evil or something. I don't know. Well, as opposed to the nanny played by Billy Whitelaw. Who was pure evil. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, no my kidding. gosh. She, you know, I wouldn't have let her anywhere near my house. And she shows up right after the first nanny goes off the the building and hangs herself. And uh, then she brings along a few dogs. Yeah. And those dogs were, I mean, if you didn't like dogs, you'd really not like dogs after seeing that group. Those were the hounds of hells, right? Like the hellhounds. Well, I, I, you know what I thought when I saw that? I thought of uh, Hound of the Baskervilles, the Sherlock Holmes story and film, where the hounds look just like the ones in this in this movie. Yeah, that's a good uh, yeah good comparison. Although those turned out just to be very pedestrian dogs that were painted with like a luminescent paint. That's <laughs> <laughs> true, but I, I do think that the little Damien was a little devil. All right. Well, I I think. In my mind, there's still a little bit of a question mark, not notwithstanding uh, Omen 2 and Omen 3, because that pretty much uh, sealed the deal that he, he was the spawn of the devil. Yeah, he got... Have you seen those two A movies? long time ago, yeah, yeah. I saw, I saw one of those two, and I can't remember which one, and there was no doubt. Well, I know in the Omen 3, he was trying to bring about World War Three and, like, nuclear Armageddon. Uh, if I remember correctly. Yes, that's the one with, uh, I think, Sam Neill plays. Yeah, Sam Neill, the, the, the kind uh, do uh, doctor from uh, Jurassic Park. Uh, also the spawn of the devil trying to bring about the annihilation yes. of the world. So <laughs> another character I just absolutely loved was uh, Father Brennan, paid, played by Patrick Troughton. Who, who was one of my favorite actors who played in the Doctor Who series. And he was the second Doctor in the Doctor Who series, and after William Hartnell. He's just such a great actor, and did did a really good job of uh, portraying sort of a, a, a priest on the edge of, like, insanity almost, I think. Oh, no kidding. He was, he was on a mission, and I believe, kind of moving the plot along, he's the second victim of Damien's uh, wrath when that uh, spear, or whatever it was, off of the top of the cathedral... Skewers him. Yeah, it's like <laughs> like a chicken skewer. I don't know why I'm laughing. I mean, it was a it was a brutal scene, and he was hang, he was just standing there like he had been uh, hung out to dry. Yeah, and and all the time this is going on, uh, David Warner's character Jennings is kind of investigating and is suspecting that something is is up because every time he takes a picture of somebody that's died, there's like this. Uh, this ghostly image of yeah. how they ended up dying. Like with the nanny, there was a rope around her neck and, and, and with the father, there was like a spear going through his ch uh, chest. And, and then later he ends up taking a picture of himself and there's like a big black, like splice, you know, through him. And he goes, then you recollect this other clipping. It's a birth announcement from a Rome newspaper. Also dated the 6th of June, five years ago. The day your son was born. Sixth month, sixth day. Was your son born at 6 a.m.? Yes, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to work out this birthmark, the three sixes. My son is dead. I don't know whose son. I'm raising 
you wouldn't mind, Mr. Thorne, I'd like to help you try and find out. No. It's my problem. No, sir, you're wrong. It's my problem, too. When I came here with the police, I took some photographs. I happened to catch sight of my own reflection in that mirror. in this in this film do so in a very graphic manner um, this is about the same era when uh, exorcism was showing up yeah the exorcist came out around here yeah I, I went to that with a group of friends uh, in Denver and that was really creepy to see that in the movie theater Jeez, I, I can only imagine that's uh, yeah that one that movie creeped me out even more than this one although this one is right up there on the creep Creep-a-meter. The thing I liked about this movie is it left a lot of uh, questions unanswered. Like, one of my big pet peeves that I talked about last time is when they give it, give it all away at the end. And, and for me, this was all about atmosphere. This was all about, you know, building up the creepiness factor and, and the music and the, the sets and the cinematography and, and just some of the weirdness. Like, when they were at that uh, hospital in Rome... They had that weird elevator that was a continuous elevator where you, it's sort of yes. like a dumb waiter, and, but yes. it, was, it was full person size. You just step into it and there's no doors or anything. And just little things like that were just odd and it made it all the better for me. What I noticed was when we reviewed The uh, Haunting, what made that one so special for me is that it didn't show you a lot of the graphic uh, horror kinds of things. There was a pounding on the door and all of that. But in this one, it left nothing to the imagination in terms of the uh, horror factor. But the atmosphere was so powerful; it was it, it was okay. I mean, they fit that together. I think really well. But well, because I still think that all those things could be just accidents. Like maybe that lady at the birthday party was actually like clinically. I don't know what the term would be, but, you know, she, she committed suicide at the birthday party. And then Father Brennan was just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, even though it's unlikely. <laughs> even, and then, even, and though, then Jennings, even though the photographs Jennings, had that. <laughs> yeah. And then Jennings, wrong, wrong place, wrong time again, you know. So. No kidding. Uh, well, I, I suppose that could happen, although that makes it difficult to explain the photographs. Yes, that, that does Jennings kind of, had. Uh, it does kind of throw my theory kind of out the window. But anyway, the one that seemed most like that was the one where uh, Ambassador Thorne's wife was knocked off that chair and, yeah. and fell the two two stories down to the uh, open area. Listen to us. All we're doing is describing all these <laughs> all these, these terrible things. Yeah, <laughs> it was. What was the rating on this movie? It must have been R. I, you know, I never looked that up, but it would have to have been R. I'm sure it was. It was R. Yeah, they didn't have PG-13 in 1976. Oh, okay, okay. So, I mean, yeah, uh, you, you said so the we, plot's pretty straightforward. So, uh, finally, finally, after all these uh, terrible things have happened, Robert Thorne. Uh, realizes that yes, my son is is the spawn of the devil, and he goes to Italy to try to find his real son. Maybe thinking that his real son is still alive, and they end up going to that cemetery and and finding these graves, 
And they oh, opened the first was... they opened the first grave and there's like a dog skeleton or something in there. It was a jackal. A jackal. But yeah, that was that was uh, unsettling and then they and then they opened the second uh, smaller uh, grave next to that one and there's a, a small child skeleton with a big hole in its skull. Is my son buried here? This woman could be the mother of the child you adopted. Why here, in this terrible place? So obviously there was a plot to have him raise uh, Damien, and we still don't know who Damien's mother was. Although Father Brennan was about to say that your the mother was something. I've locked the door, Mister Thorne. Yes. Would you send for a security guard, please? I beg you, Mister Thorne, listen to what I have to say. Ambassador Thorne. I was at the hospital, Mr. Thorne, the night your son was born. I witnessed the birth. Sir? I beg you. All right. Stand by. What do you want? To save you, Mr. Thorne, so Christ will forgive me. What do you know about my son? Everything. And what is that? I saw its mother. You saw my wife? I saw its mother. You're referring to my wife? Its mother, Mr. Thorne. This is blackmail and come out and say it. What is it that you're trying to say? His mother was a... Everything all right, sir? You sounded strange. The door was locked. I want this gentleman escorted out of here. Okay, let's go. Accept Christ each day. Drink his blood. So I think Father Brennan might have known who the mother was, but it went to the grave with him. It went to the grave with him and a lot of other people. I was just, I found my notes. Uh, uh, the uh, the uh, Father Spoleto, is that how to pronounce that? was the person that kind of talked about the ancient cemetery and all. He'd been stricken mute, but he could make 
I guess he was if he was mute, he wouldn't be talking, would he? Well, he he made some marks, uh, yeah. marks and all, and and uh, they sort of they go to the cemetery, and it was a jackal carcass in the grave, and then a child skeleton with a shattered skull. But that was that that whole thing was weird too. But the, your it, what took away from it a little bit for me was that you could tell that that was on a soundstage. Yeah, that that looked so different than the rest of the movie. I I kind of wish that they'd found a real location to do that but uh it did have a, a kind of a nice atmosphere it reminded me a little bit of those sound stages that they would film like the uh like frankenstein in or something you know it had it felt very kind of closed in after that trip to the cemetery they realize that they've got to figure out how to stop damien and so they go on the search for this hermit that knows things about the antichrist and he has these certain special daggers that have to yes. be used to kill Damien and, and uh, Robert Thorne, you know, gets these and, and uh, makes his way back to uh, England where Damien's being uh, nannied uh, by the crazy, <laughs> what's uh, Mrs. Baylock, I guess is her name. Yeah, I think so. Yes. I, I love that. I was back to where they went to, to Israel to find uh, Carl Begenhagen's ar- archaeological dig. And I, I like that because that, again was beautiful in terms of when they were walking through that that archaeological dig and i like that it took seven mystical daggers from megado it must be done on hallowed ground a church his blood must be spilled on the altar of god this first knife most important. It extinguishes physical life and forms the center of the cross. The subsequent placings extinguish spiritual life and should radiate outward like this. This is not a human child. Make no mistake. Yeah. In order to murder the child. Not one, not two, but seven. And and this is where they explain the, the 666. It's the Diabolic yes. Trinity. That's its name. Diabolic Trinity. What an awesome name for something. They had some good names in this movie. Well, they had a good scene. I, I back up a little bit where they're riding in the car and they're talking about there's a uh, solar flare or uh, there's something in the sky. I forget what it is. I, Comet or something, that's a sign. And then uh, talking about the rise of the Roman Empire, and, and uh, Mr. Thorne said, well, that that's not, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but they were referencing the European common market as as the rise of the Roman Empire because the treaty was signed in Rome, and I'm like, wow, there's a stretch. Yeah, that was a pretty big stretch. But who knows? I mean... You got to have some of that. I was I was reading Roger Ebert's uh, review of this movie, and he made he made some comments about the uh, that uh, common market and all that. <laughs> but anyway, I, I sort of digressed a bit. But we're so, back on plot yeah, here. When they got when he gets back to his house in England, this is where the movie started to fall apart for me because you really had to suspend disbelief at this point. I mean, up to this point, you've had to, but you really had to go the extra mile here because he sneaks into Damien's room, which is adjoining to Mrs. Baylock's room, 
And before he got there, he was able to trap that hellhound in sort of the, the cellar, which I yes. thought that was that was smart. You know, that was good. Good job. Uh, but then he gets up to Damien's room, and all he does is he, like, very quietly closes the door to Mrs. Baylock's room. And then he goes about trying to cut off Damien's hair to see if Damien has this diabolic trinity mark, the 666, on his skull. And he very quickly finds the spot and, and is able to see that now Damien does have that mark. Oh my gosh, he must be, you know, the son of the devil. But first of all, I think Mrs. Baylock would have been like hyper vigilant, uh, protecting Damien. Uh, and probably with the dog barking and whatnot, he never would have gotten that far. And then secondly, Damien, I think, would have woken up if his hair was getting cut. I just, knowing little kids, I think he would have like kind of woken up and... So I, I don't know. That was a little bit of a stretch to me. Well, I, I have an answer for Mrs. Blaylock. She was really tired out because she had just finished throwing Catherine Thorne out the hospital window. Oh, that's true. And, uh, it, and it probably wore her out. So maybe she was really, she might she have kind of had a, a, pill. an evening out yeah, at the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I assume she'd taken some sleeping tablets. Uh, but you're right. It, it the part that was a little uh, suspend belief for me was when he was trying to find the six 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 on Damien's skull. Yeah, and then and then Mrs. Baylock does wake up and comes out and jumps on uh, Robert Thorne's back, and they have this big you know physical fight, and uh, he ends up killing her. So then he kidnaps uh, Damien, and because he's got to take Damien to a church in order to to you know do the ritual properly. So and then. So what's your theory on why the police were waiting there for him? Well, uh, since the devil is involved in this, and who knows how his uh, magic works, I think he somehow made some of the police officers realize they needed to go to where uh, Mr. Thorne was through some kind of mental telepathy. Ah, I mean, that fits in as well as anything else. Yeah, so Plus, he, he arranged them to be there, I, I guess. I think so. And also, Mr. Thorne was the ambassador, so there might have been some security around his place. Plus, he was driving erratically. Yeah, like a crazy man. Uh, we, ha we mustn't forget that in order to do, to, to do the deed, he's also got the daggers in the car with him. Right. So he's got Damien, the daggers, he's all bloodied up, and he's whipping off to the nearest church to finish the deed. Which which he does arrive at, and he's able to elude the police long enough to get to the church. And he's got Damien up on the steps of uh, the altar at the front of the church, and he's just about to stab Damien in the neck or the throat or something when the police burst in and... No, they shoot. They shoot him just before he can kill the Antichrist, and it's like, of course. I mean, it's like that close. It comes down to you know it split does. second timing. I love the filming of the bullet coming out of the revolver in slow motion. Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't see it getting Gregory Peck, but uh, we know he 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 has uh, bitten the dust. Um, plus, you know, it just lended more suspense to what's going to happen next, and that's when we go to the graveside funeral and we see from behind we see two adults and a child and one of the other there's a third adult sort of off camera and the last line in the movie is like something about something something mr president so we th this has got to be the president of the united states and 
uh, him and the first lady are holding Damien's hands. And then Damien turns around and gives us one of those looks like, like you mentioned. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet, <laughs> yeah, folks. Uh, I, my theory, uh, let's see, I have another theory on how he ended up in the custody of the president. If we go back to early in the movie, Mr. Thorne, Gregory Peck's character, was nominated by the president to be the ambassador to the United Kingdom. And I think they were long, lifelong, lifelong friends from way back. And I don't think that the Thorns had any other relatives. So just, again, the devil's handiwork, yeah, he ends up having Damien show up with the president and the first lady. Well, what I, what, I loved, what I loved about that, and if you've set aside the sequels to this movie, is that you you could almost imagine like Damien like, growing up with like the president as his sort of like foster father and, you know, and going on. <laughs> to become president because of, you know, that relationship. And that's kind of how I, I imagined it going, you know, after the film ended. Well, and depending on each viewer's political opinions, no matter where they are in the world, they could have Damien go on into that next career. He could be one of hundreds of different characters, yeah. depending on your political opinions. <laughs> but back to the death scene in the church where Gregory Peck gets it. If, in fact, your theory is correct that everybody was crazy and Damien was not a spawn of the devil, how weird was Gregory Peck looking to the police? He's trying well, to kill this young boy uh, on the altar. That's what I mean. I Kirk. think you, you could you try this sometime. Watch the movie, but <laughs> but just imagine that Damien is a normal kid who, I mean, what what kids don't make funny faces? Maybe he just had indigestion or he had gas or something. Yeah, and who doesn't? Yeah, that's right. That scene where they were trying to take him to the church for the wedding? Oh, there, I, yes. I guarantee you that there's been times when we've tried to take our kids someplace and they don't want to go and they freak out. And there's nothing supernatural about that. So then if you do that, then you got to think that, like, Maybe there was something about the house that they were in that was causing people to go crazy. Or, you know, I, I don't know. I I think what kind of makes my theory not as plausible is are those photos that are taken with those weird ghostly, like, you know, imprints on them. Although, if, in fact, you're correct in your theory, perhaps the people in the film were just imagining those shadows on the photographs. See, I suppose that would be possible if they all lived under the power lines like they did in the movie Neighbors. Remember oh, that yeah, one where yeah. they all went bizarre because <laughs> they were living under these high-powered power lines. But I think we should do a second episode on the same movie with a completely different plot line. Oh, yeah. Damien is fine. And everybody else is wacko. Because another, if you want to go with my theory, then maybe Jennings <laughs> was doing that on purpose. Maybe he had it out for the thorns, and this was a way to try to uh, make some things happen. I don't know. I just think there's an alternate way to watch the movie where Damien is just a normal kid. <laughs> yeah, I watched it. I never had that thought, but now I'm kind of buying into it. <laughs> we'll have a sequel, The Omen, episode zoo. No, my goodness. <laughs> We could go on until we drill ourselves into the ground. <laughs> yeah. So Anyway, um, so this was a fun movie to watch. I think it... It is. It, what was your rating on it? Well, it, I gave it an eight uh, just because it kind of fell apart for me at the, in the last five minutes. 
but the cinematography was beautiful. The the directing was great. The acting was great. Um, I loved the story. was very intriguing to me. I love that there's an alternate way that you could think about it. And I like that they didn't give away too much. It left a lot to your imagination, uh, irrespective of all the graphic death scenes. <laughs> How many were there? Six or eight, something like that? <laughs> well, you know, I'm reluctant to go with the same eight out of ten, knowing that this involves the uh, the devil. Oh, you think you might want to go with a I think higher... I might go ten out of ten so I don't get in trouble, <laughs> but I... <laughs> No, I, I'd, I'd go with the, with the eight out of ten. Yeah, it's it's a it's quite a movie. It really and boy was it well publicized when it came out in 1976. I mean, it was everywhere. Well, it it is a scary movie. I think if you watch it just uh, as Damien being the spawn of the devil, it's 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 super creepy. And uh, watch it late at night with the lights off, and it's even better. Oh boy, <laughs> I did want to mention that. I enjoyed Lee Remick's character too, Mrs. Thorne. Oh, she did. Yeah, I, I, we didn't talk too much about her, but she was really put upon, wasn't she? I felt like she sele- she very gradually was uh, being influenced by Damien and going, yeah. or or whatever was in the house that was causing everybody in the house to go crazy. I don't know which Depen- either depending one. Depending on which theory we buy. So uh, we've rated it. What's on our agenda for our next movie? Oh, yes, I think for- I know. But- Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet, yes, with Walter Pigeon. Which is pretty heavy sci-fi, but has a pretty good horror element in it as well. So uh, it, I think it still fits in with our October is for horror theme. For me, it's a wonderful movie because it's kind of the high-budget, big-budget, full-color treatment that uh, metro Golden mayer gave it that really took it above most of the, if not all of the science fiction movies up until that time, which were almost always black and white and low-budget. Well, I, so I don't think it's matched in its uh, presentation of, of a sci-fi spectacle until 2001. I, I, that scene when the, oh, spa- when, they're, yes. when the spaceship lands and, yeah. and they, they come down out of the spaceship, I still, even after watching the, how they did that scene, I can't see the special effects. It, it just looks like they're on a different planet, Altair 6 or whatever planet that, that is. It's it just so well done. That is true, and and it wasn't until 12 years later that uh, 2001 came out, so that was a forerunner. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. All right, so The Forbidden Planet. All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. This this has been a fun one, and uh, I'm sure Forbidden Planet will be, too. Uh, So until next week, this is Matt Johnson coming to you from Seattle. And Bob Johnson in Los Angeles wishing you great movie watching.
I, I'm glad that I was able to turn you around to my alternate uh, plot theory. Well, it was a little longer than 30 minutes, but we, we, we had the double theory on the film. Yeah, it was like two um, movies in one. <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> now I'll, I may have to watch it again. Yeah. It's still on Netflix. <laughs> Do it, and then tell me what you think. And I also have the 1999 version of The Haunting that I've started watching, and uh, I'll oh. be able to talk about that next time. Liam Neeson uh, and uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. I can tell that it takes itself it t- takes itself way too seriously already. <laughs>